The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 5, 1-6. through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Logan, uh, for reading that passage. If we haven't met, I see a lot of unfamiliar faces in the room this morning. My name's Russ Ramsey, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. We're glad uh, that you're here with us. I know uh, Jonathan mentioned this, but there are black notebooks here that are uh, just our attendance books. If you wouldn't mind filling those out, make sure, especially if this is your first time with us. Um, and give me your mailing address, if you don't mind, if, you, if you're okay with that, because I want to send you a, a, a note. Um, but uh, we're, we're really glad you're here, so welcome. Um, We've been in this Galatians series now for a while. We started back in the fall, working our way through the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 5 now, which means we're getting there. Uh, We're close. We're actually, if you're wondering, we're going to end this series. We're going to finish our Galatians uh, sermon series the Sunday before Palm Sunday. And then we'll have a Palm Sunday and an Easter Sunday and then a new sermon series after that. So um, if you're keeping track of that, that's, that's where we're headed Today's passage is, um, uh, especially verse 1 here, is kind of a pivot point in the book of Galatians. When, when Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, is, is, is in a way a summary of the first four chapters of this book, of what he's been getting at, the application, the point he's trying to make. Christ has set us free to be free. And the questions I want to ask in the two parts of this sermon are free from what and free for what. Uh, Those are the two ideas that we're going to unpack today. It's for freedom that we've been set free, free from what and free for what. That's where we're going as we unpack this, this passage. Now, there are many places in the New Testament that speak of freedom for the Christian, of being free in Christ. Jesus said, and we read this passage just a little bit ago, Jonathan read it for us, um, that those who the Son sets free would be free indeed. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says that all creation will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And then here in Galatians, we're also reminded that the reason that we're set free in Christ is to be free. And so when he says stand firm in this freedom, he's saying don't give it up. Hold on to it, insist, persevere, don't budge, don't give in to all of the things that are clamoring for you to surrender bits of your freedom. What does Christian freedom mean? 
This is a huge question. It's a question. There are books written on this. There are libraries filled with, that could be filled with books written on the question of what does Christian freedom mean? What does it entail? And it's an important question because we live in a time where our culture prizes the idea of freedom. But what we mean culturally, oftentimes, when, when we use the word freedom, is we mean autonomy that those are the same things, that those equate together. And our world prizes this. It's one of the clarion calls of a postmodern world is, is that nobody gets to tell you what to do. Nobody gets to tell you who to be. Nobody gets to tell you these things. And the cultural idea is that freedom and the true prize of freedom is that we get to be completely independent independent from anyone, anything, except for ourselves. We are a law unto ourselves. What I can tell you is that's a terrible idea. It reminds me of a commercial that the Disney Channel made in 2013 uh, featuring a fictional Snuffy the Seal. Any of you heard of Snuffy the Seal? So the commercial, and it's filmed straight, nobody's even winking at the camera. It's a work of fiction, but it's effective. When we meet Snuffy the seal, he is washed up on shore, he's dehydrated, he's exhausted, he is injured. And the marine biologists take him and they care for him and they mend his wounds and they put him back together and they feed him and they get him all back to health. And then comes the day that Snuffy is going to be released back into the wild. He's going to be free. And so an eager crowd lines the beach and the news cameras are rolling and the cage door opens where Snuffy is contentedly and anticipating his release back into the wild and he is carefully lowered into the water and he shakes himself loose of the nest and Snuffy is free. And then out of nowhere, a great white shark appears and gobbles him in one big bite. It's a Shark Week ad, is what it is. The <laughs> Any of you remember that commercial? The thing about that commercial is that there are also lots of real YouTube videos of the same thing happening with the family that nurses a baby squirrel back to health and they release it and the hawk swoops in and flies off with it. This kind of thing happens. It's a reminder of the kind of world that we live in. It's a world with sharks, right? And the first thing that we have to understand about Christian freedom is that we're not set free in order to just be on our own. We're not, this world doesn't work that way. We're free to live not as, not as people who are autonomous because that's not what we're made for. We're free to live as we were made to live. And the way we were made to live, tracing all the way back to the Garden of Eden, is we were made to live in intimate, face-to-face -face relationship with the maker and the lover of our souls. That's how we were meant to live. And so the freedom that Scripture talks about is really a transfer of belonging. It's not a picture of going from slavery to autonomy. It's a transfer of belonging. And we're not going to understand Christian freedom if we don't understand that we're being set free to be with Christ. 
And so I want us to talk about freedom, free from what, free for what. And so let's start with free from what. What does Christian freedom mean we're free from? Well, the work of Christ on our behalf frees us ultimately from separation from God, which is the destiny of those who are not in a perfect, righteous relationship with him. The only way for that relationship to exist between God and people who have, all of us, rebelled against him and his law is for God to restore us because we don't restore ourselves. And so the work of Christ on our behalf frees us ultimately from separation from God and the bondage of spiritual decay. When our faith is in Christ, we are free from guilt, from sin, from death, from condemnation, from hopelessness, from the need to establish our own identity from scratch, which is suffocating. We're free from empty religion. In verses 2 through 4 of this passage, they're summarizing an argument that Paul has been making against conflating Christianity with religious ceremony. That's been the the sum of the book so, so, so far has been a lot of that. And what he's saying is, look, you can't trust in your own righteousness and the grace of Christ at the same time. If you trust in ceremony, that will oblige you to keep the law, all of it on your own. If you're going to trust in law keeping, then keep it without fail. That's the path you're choosing. At that point, you don't really need Christ because you're trusting in your own righteousness to save you and you don't require the righteousness of another, but you're going to fail at it. And then in verse 5, Paul gives the gospel way. He says, by the work of the Holy Spirit who is dwelling in us, we wait for our coming redemption with expectant hope, knowing that we are already redeemed because of what he has done. We we talked about this last week. We already have a chair at his banquet table. And then finally, in in verse 6, Paul circles back to verse 1, and he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What does Christian freedom look like? It looks like not trusting in ourselves for salvation. It looks like Faith working itself out through love as people who have been freed from sin, guilt, condemnation, and death. So it's what we've been freed from. The question that we're going to dig into more here is free for what? What are we free for? What are we free to? And something I noticed this week is I noticed that we have an easier time understanding what we're free from than we do understanding what we're free for. And I did a little experiment on Facebook, and many of you participated in this. Thank you very much. Um, I posted a question on my Facebook page, and it was this. Help me write my sermon. Christians are free in Christ, so here's my question. What does that freedom permit? Not what are we free from, but what are we free to? And I totally stole this question from Caitlin Mock, uh, who raised it during our small group discussion. And within 24 hours, I got about 90 responses from people, which is the beauty of Facebook, right? And I got these responses, and one of the things that I noticed from a lot of the answers is that a lot of the answers were pretty abstract. What are we free for? It wasn't that they're necessarily wrong, it's just that they're abstract. Let me give you some examples. What are we free for? People said, well, we're free to not have to create our own identity. We're free to rest. 
We're free to be honest about our questions and our doubts. We're free to be fully human. We're free to feel a full range of emotion. We're free to flourish. We're free to pursue, pursue virtue. Right? And I don't disagree with any of those things at all. They're all biblically grounded and, and true. But there was another set of answers to the question that really fascinated me. And these were more concrete. These were specific. And here are some of them. We are free to enjoy bacon <laughs> and beer. And we're free to dance. And we're free to give our resources away to people in need. And we're free to fight for justice with our action and our time. We're free to engage culture. We're free to be inventors and athletes and actors and entrepreneurs and politicians and builders and teachers and artists. We're free to embrace our own cultural traditions, food, dress, customs, family systems. And what Galatians is telling us is it's telling us Gentiles did not have to become like the Jews. And what that means is they were free to remain Gentiles in every way that wasn't contrary to God's word. And so I want us to ask the question, when Paul writes, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, what are we free for? We're to stand in that freedom, to live in it, to live from it. How? And so two key ideas that I want to unpack generally. The first is we're free to engage and enjoy this world. And the second is we're free to engage and enjoy the Lord. So let me start with that first one. We're free to engage and enjoy this world. A few years ago, my wife and I were a part of a small group. This was before our Christ Pres days. Um, and in that small group uh, were Ben and Shelley Ellis. Some of you know Ben and Shelley. Um, ben died from cancer a few years ago, a couple years ago. And... Uh, he was a teacher at Christ Pres Academy, um, and there was a, uh, they were featured on uh, Good Morning America because there was this viral video of when Ben was in his last stages, he was at home, and the entire CPA student body, uh, high, school student, uh, high school, went over to his house and stood in his yard and sang to him from the ground. You should, you should Google ben, the Ben Ellis video and, and see it. It's, it's, uh, you're going to need a minute, though. It's, it's moving. Anyway, um, Ben. I've never met anybody like Ben. Ben's an amazing guy. Uh, and uh, a few years before he died, before his cancer was, a, a, a year before he died, I'm sorry, uh, before he died, before his cancer was diagnosed, I was walking on the Greenway in Brentwood over by the, the library and the YMCA, that Greenway over there. And it was late spring, and Ben comes up behind me on the trail. And he's walking, and I'm walking. And so, surprised to see each other, we just kind of stand, and we just start to talk. And I look off to the trail, just, just within arm's reach is a raspberry bush that is covered in ripe raspberries. And I go, are those, those are raspberries? And he goes, I think they are. And we just moved over to this raspberry bush and just ate raspberries for a while. <laughs> just me and Ben, standing there, two sweaty dudes with our Fitbits, eating raspberries in the clean warmth of a springtime afternoon, and it felt like worship. It felt like we'd had this 
moment, that, that my enjoyment of those raspberries, it was heightened by the fact that I'm here with this brother who speaks of God's playfulness and create, creativity. Uh, he, he observed that, you know, God made this, this, this bush that's covered in thorns, and it just has this wonderful fruit on it. And we went home with purple fingers. Ben was a guy who was, he wanted his son to experience, <laughs> I love this Ben story. I'm not going to tell Ben stories all morning, but this is a good one. He wanted his son to experience sitting at a campfire, drinking hot cocoa out of one of those metal enamel-covered cups. And so he didn't have any of those cups, but what he did is he got a neighbor, and the two of them got all kinds of camping gear and packed the car to the gills so that they could go camp, so that they could have a campfire, so that they could make hot cocoa in those cups and have that experience. That was the kind of guy um, that Ben was. But when we're standing there eating those raspberries, and it's just perfect. It's a perfect day outside. The raspberries are perfect. My friend, being with my friend, it's just perfect. We didn't thank the universe. We didn't wonder how the cosmos aligned to make those berries. We knew who made them. They were created. And we knew that they were, in a way, ours to enjoy right then and right there. This world is full of amazing, glorious things. Right? It's filled with landscapes and flora and fauna that are ours to enjoy and engage with as people who are known and loved by the one who made them and set them before us and set us in them. When the Lord appeared to Peter in a vision in Acts 10, if you remember this, he lowers a sheet and in that sheet are all kinds of animals that were formerly considered and regarded as unclean. And the voice of the Lord is saying to Peter, everything is clean. Now take and eat. What God has called clean, do not call common. And what he's telling Peter is he's saying, enjoy the bounty of this earth. And no longer divide it into the clean and the unclean. And so what it means is it means that we can celebrate the beauty and the goodness of this world. We can celebrate cultural traditions we can enjoy food from the places where we come from. We can preserve ethnic and family traditions. We can celebrate diversity as the handiwork of God. We can learn from people and places and things that are foreign to us as a part of living as free people in this world. We can celebrate that we all come from somewhere and that not every place is the same. If you're a part of this congregation for any length of time, I will talk about the little hometown that I grew up in in the middle of Indiana. And the reason I will do it is because I'm from there. And I love it. And it's a part of me. And I'm a part of it. What else? What else are we free to do? Are we free for when it comes to enjoying and engaging with this world? Here's one. We're free to practice and become really good at things which is kind of a wonderful idea when you think about it. We're free to view work as craft and to get better at it. We've got a lot of that in this room, right? You should see Andy Hubbard play drums. You should go over to Nate Yoder's house and see the pizza oven that he made with his own hands. It's a separate building, and I've had pizza that comes out of it, and it's just, it's unlike 
It's unlike any, anything you've ever, you've ever tasted in your life. You should see the videos that Joe Gilder makes teaching people how to record music and how to use engineering software. You should see one of Clay Perry's paintings. They're amazing. I had no idea. You should read one of Hannah Hubin's poems. You should see Aaron Smith and Eric Cole play rock and roll. Loud rock and roll music. They're good at it. They're good at it. This is a room full of people who are good at things. And it's a room full of people who get better at things. And that's part of the joy of living in a world like this, where God has made it to work in certain ways to where mastery begets joy and practice begets mastery. And we get to live that way. These are amazing things. Cultivating skill as believers honors the Lord. We're free to learn. We're free to learn truth from people who don't share our faith because all truth is God's truth. So there are authors and painters and actors and teachers and writers who don't have to be Christians to teach us things that are true before God. We're free to go to concerts and to movies and to festivals, asking the Lord, govern my conscience as I engage with the Lord. But thank you for the beauty of the creativity of your people. Here's another thing we're free to do. We are free to deny our own appetites. We're free to deny our own appetites when indulging them is harmful to ourselves, when it's harmful to others. We're free to turn down that glass of wine when we know we've had our allotment of wine for this life, right? We're free to engage the world upholding the good that's in it. We're free to engage and enjoy this world. And it's a good way to live. With that, and never to be separated from that, is we are free to engage and enjoy the Lord. And this must not be taken for granted. Because when you look at the Old Testament and what the Old Testament has to say and the way it portrays human beings engaging with the Lord, one of the things that we see is God is a holy fire. And if we try to engage with Him on our own principles and our own righteousness, thinking that we are somehow worthy to walk into His presence unassisted, we have mistaken who He is. They referred to him, Isaac referred to him as the fear, right? God is holy, and we are free to look at the way the holiness of God is portrayed in the Old Testament. One of the things that's clear, sinful humanity had no business presuming they could enter the presence of the Lord and touch the place where his presence was said to dwell. If they did, they were struck dead. You remember the story in the Old Testament where they're carrying the ark? back into Jerusalem, and the people who are carrying it was not supposed to be carried by people in the first place, but they're carrying it, and one of them stumbles and starts to fall, and somebody reaches out his hand to steady it, and he's struck dead in the moment. The implication being that he was wrong to presume that his hand was cleaner than the earth on which that ark was going to fall. This is the God that we're talking about. There's a chasm between sinful humanity and a holy God that's so vast, nobody could bridge it. Except for God himself, 
It's the purpose of the incarnation of Jesus. That's what he came to do. That's why he was born. That's why he lived in our place. That's why he died in our place. And when our faith is in Christ, believing that he took our sin upon himself and placed his perfect record of righteousness on us, we are given access to the throne of grace. And we're not just given access, but we're given full access. Why? Because we are robed in the righteousness of Christ perfectly. We're free to engage then the Lord because of what Christ has done without fear, and that's no small thing. Every other Christian freedom flows from this one, that we are free to engage with the Lord because of the righteousness of Christ robing us, which brings me back to Snuffy the Seal. And the idea that Christian freedom or that any kind of freedom equals autonomy This is the paradox of Christian freedom. The paradox of Christian freedom is Scripture calls freedom in Christ a kind of bondage. Scripture calls freedom in Christ a kind of bondage. It's freedom from bondage to this world, but it's not a freedom from something to nothing. It's a transfer. We go from being bound to this world to being bound to Christ, which is how we were created to live. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Peter, James, Jude, Timothy, Paul, all of them call themselves bondservants of Jesus Christ. What this means is that freedom is ours to enjoy in the presence of Jesus according to his will. Like me and Ben with the raspberries. Paul got at this back in chapter 2 when he said this, He's taught this being bound to Christ, that my freedom is that I am now free, which means I'm bound to Jesus. He gets at this in in chapter chapter 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Being set free by the gospel does not mean we are free to go do whatever we want. It means we are free to go live as we were meant to live. That's the key. I'm not free to just go do whatever I want. I'm free to live as I was meant to live, which is such a beautiful idea when you think about it. Because in this idea, we remember my life, your life, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. What is the chief end of man? of humanity. What are we here for? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For this, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, for this Christ has set us free. What does it look like? Paul says, it looks like faith expressing itself through love. It looks like serving. We're free to give our lives away for the sake of others. We have nothing that we need to preserve. It's all being kept for us. James Boyce describes this as the ethical side of Christian freedom. To have freedom and to not use it for the good only free people can do is an ethical collapse. The faith of free people works itself out in love. And love is laying down your life. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, And so my prayer for us is that we would live as free people. 
understanding that that freedom is not free from everything, but it's free to live as we were meant to live, and that is in union with the maker and lover of our souls, and that we would stand firm in that freedom and not give it up. So don't give your freedom away. Engage the Lord, and as you stand firm in him, enjoy. Enjoy this world. Contribute beauty. Contribute goodness. Contribute truth to this world. And I don't mean by inventing truth, but I mean upholding it. Worship. Connect. Serve as people who are free. And by that we mean bound to Christ for all eternity. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for... Well, I thank you that the biblical picture of freedom is not autonomy, but that the biblical picture of freedom is free to live as we were intended to live, and that is at your side and in your presence. And in your presence, you tell us there is fullness of joy, and that the idea of hell is separation from you. Lord, you have made a way for us to live in right relationship with you. And it's not something we could do by ourselves. It's not something we contributed to at all. It's something that you've done. And Lord, we thank you for that. Even as we read a book that was written all those years ago, those centuries ago, we still relate to the idea of the struggle of trying to free ourselves through effort, through working hard, through trying to say and do the right things at the right time in front of the right people. But Lord, the freedom that you offer us is freedom to be as we were designed, as we were meant to be, and that is in union with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that. We confess uh, that we fall short of, of really grasping the magnificence of that, and yet it's what you give us, and so we thank you for it. Lord, we're grateful for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. Thanks for this day, for this day that when, you walk, when we walk outside from here, we will, we will sense uh, and feel in the air the beginning of spring even though it's probably not beginning. But, Lord, we thank you for the way that you, you have filled this world with life uh, and have called us to enjoy it and to savor it and to be a part of it and contribute. Uh, and so we're grateful for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.